Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stories from the World. This is David Robert Farmerie. Hello, and welcome to the third episode from the Wilson Residency. With only seven days left uh, before I leave to go back home from Wilson, I think it's uh, pretty fair to say that my frogginess is going to be with me the entire time. I hope this episode finds you well. Things here in Wilson are still going swimmingly, as they say in, I don't know, some parts of the world. I continue to be blown away by the amount of stories, the number of stories that there are here in Wilson to be told. And I've told many so far, but that's just scratched the surface, truly. And as far as the podcast episodes go, I'm still trying to get interviews with people. But, you know, scheduling is just a problem. And more so because a lot of the people, in fact, up until this point, all of the people who have agreed to do a podcast interview are so busy. They're so involved with so many aspects of the community that we just haven't been able to coordinate our schedules. And for that, I sincerely apologize. And in reality, my schedule hasn't been any different. I have been going like gangbusters, averaging about uh, 17, 18 hours a day every single day. In fact, today is the first time that I have actually had some downtime to just sit and process and rest my body and my brain a little bit. But what a blessing it has been to be so incredibly busy because of all of the things that I have been able to experience here. I honestly don't remember a time where I have had so many people, so many different people with so many different stories enter into my life in such a short period of time. In fact, last night I was having a beer with my friend Keith Dannemiller, another photographer who's working here in Wilson. And Keith was actually a, uh, an Eyes on Main Street residency photographer back in 2017. But he's down here now finishing up work that he began way back then uh, for an exhibition that he ha is uh, opening next year, next March, at uh, Barton College. Anyhow, Keith and I were talking about this last night and how spoiled we have become uh, by the ease uh, of gathering stories here in Wilson because everybody seems to be open and so accepting of us and welcoming us into their lives and into their homes and what they do day in and day out and sharing with us their stories. The day before yesterday, I was finally able to meet this woman that uh, I, had, I had heard about uh, within the first couple of days that I was here in Wilson. Her name is B.B. Pink, B. B-P-I-N-K. Anyhow, Bibi is, I don't even know right now how to describe Bibi other than she is one of the most fascinating people and most authentic people I have ever met in my entire life. And she has agreed to allow me to make a portrait of her this coming Wednesday. So hopefully by next week's episode, which will be the last episode from Wilson, I will have a lot more to tell you about her story. But for right now, let me just tell you a little bit about what I have discovered about BB, because I really and truly, I can't contain it within myself. About 10 days ago, the person that originally told me about BB had come across BB's business card and gave it to me. I called the number, but unfortunately, that number was no longer in service. 
After some further research, it was determined that B.B. lived on 3rd Street, but that's the only thing that anyone knew. So I jumped in the expedition, and I headed off to find 3rd Street. The only physical telltale sign of B.B. that I had to kind of look out for was her pickup truck, and I was told that it was a white pickup truck that had pink hearts painted all over it. Surely there couldn't be more than one of those. I drove the length of 3rd Street, which really wasn't all that long, and as I neared the end, I came upon a house. There was no truck or a vehicle of any kind in the driveway, but let me just say that the telltale signs that this was probably B.B.'s house were quite evident. The lower half of the brick house, painted around the entire perimeter of the house, was, as you may have already guessed, pink. And it wasn't just your run-of-the-mill pink color. It was, let's say, more of a magenta-based pink. So it was, shall we say, really vibrant. Her concrete driveway, which was wide enough for two vehicles, was completely covered with drawings and sayings painted or put down by that chalk that kids use to do artwork on sidewalks. And again, as you might imagine, it was vibrant and full of color. The upper half of Bibi's house, above the part that was painted pink, and again, extending around the perimeter, were more of these chalk-type drawings and sayings. Now, by this part of this episode, you may be thinking, wow, this lady might be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit whacked or off, off her rocker, as some people would say. But I want to pause here for a moment to say that nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. You see, B.B. is truly, without any doubt, and quite authentically on a mission. And her mission is to spread God's love to everyone. And she's not spreading this by reaching out with condemnation or judgment or anything that is negative. Everything that B.B. puts out there is about pure love. And in her words, about Jesus' love for everyone. But this story about Bibi is not about Christianity or about religion of any kind. It is about one person's faith and devotion to trying to make the world a better place. And her devotion to it is completely selfless. In fact, when I told her that I wanted to make a portrait of her, she refused. She said, this is not about me. This is about the Lord, quote unquote. She said, you can photograph anything here at my house, inside or outside, but not me because it's not about me. And speaking of the inside of Bibi's house, yes, it is pink. The same magenta-based pink. And every wall in her house is pink. And it also is covered, all of the walls are also covered with sayings and drawings, and it is absolutely amazing. 
Finally, after a little bit more talking, BB did agree to allow me to make a portrait of her as well. So again, I will return on Wednesday to make those photographs uh, and hopefully by next weekend and by next week's episode, I will be able to not only bring you more of BB's story, but also some of the photographs from her house. Earlier this past week, I had another really amazing experience, and I just want to share a little bit of that with you as well. The reason that I want to tell this story, well, it's actually a fewfold, but uh, one of the reasons is that it relates to something that I've talked about uh, from time to time in previous episodes, and that is listening to one's gut. Repeatedly over the years, I have found that opportunity presents itself in strange ways much of the time. And here in Wilson, I have experienced this numerous times. And by the way, if you find yourself uh, picking up on some extraneous uh, household noises during this podcast episode, it is as it was the last time and the time before, uh, my friendly neighbors to the right. Anyhow, Earlier this week uh, was what I think is probably one of the quintessential examples of what I'm talking about. It was late in the afternoon, and I was approached with an opportunity to photograph something that was not really of interest to me or to the project itself. In fact, it really had nothing to do with the project. But the only thing that sparked my interest at all was that, you know, it might make a really great portrait nonetheless. I pondered it and kind of vacillated back and forth over the next couple of hours, and each time I kind of kept leaning away from it in my head, especially because I had already planned to take advantage of the overcast skies and photograph more at the Black Cemetery, which would fit well into my story of Wilson. But my gut kept getting in the way and edging me towards the other, towards the photograph that I was uninterested in. So, in the end, I listened to my gut. I plugged the address into the GPS and the location was, it was only about four miles away. As I reached within about a half a mile of my destination, something caught my eye out of my peripheral vision. And when I turned my head fully to look, it was a young black man on a skateboard in a skate park. And my gut once again just screamed, go there, go there. Again, I listened. I slammed on the brakes to slow down and much to the dismay of the people behind me. Uh, but I did it in time to make this sharp turn into the parking area. And when I arrived at the park itself, I saw that there were four young men instead of just one. I parked the expedition, gathered up two cameras, and made my way to the fence. And there I told them who I was, why I was there, and asked if I could make a few photographs of them. And to my surprise, they agreed without hesitation at all. I entered the skate park itself within this uh, surrounding of cyclone fence, and I began shooting. Unfortunately, for my purposes, their actions with the skateboards were really quite clumsy, so the action shots were looking rather ineffective. I paused my shooting and I asked them to gather around so that we could talk for a bit, and after talking with them, I came to learn that they had only been skateboarding about three weeks in total, so they were completely new to this. 
So realizing this, I just asked them if instead I could make a portrait. And again, they agreed without hesitation. I positioned them on top of the primary ramp, the tallest and the steepest, and I made a series of photographs adjusting their poses slightly each time. And again, each time, they just simply complied without hesitation. And I know I mentioned this a lot, this, this thing of people doing without hesitation, accepting without hesitation, and it's something that I want to talk about a little bit more later in this episode. At this point, I knew without any doubt whatsoever that the original opportunity that I was offered to go photograph the thing that I really didn't want to photograph was merely a means to bring me to this opportunity. And had I not followed my gut, I would never have known about this skate park or more importantly, these skateboarders. Eventually, I did make my way to the original subject, but... They were finishing up by the time I arrived. But even with that, the fact that I showed up at all set me up for another portrait opportunity a few days later. How well life works when we listen to the voice within, doesn't it? I realized just now that I'm beginning to run a little bit low on time and I want to make sure that I have an opportunity to talk about what I'm going to talk about now. But before I get into that, something else just entered my mind that I think is important and also uh, relative to what I've been talking about, at least in part in this episode, and that is you know, listening to one's gut and allowing things to happen. What you're unaware of, and obviously have no way of realizing that it happened because you're listening to the final edited version of this podcast, is that... I had paused for a photo shoot that I had scheduled. The reason that I bring this up or mention this is because during that photo shoot and more specifically during the conversations that I had with my subject, I had questions that were answered, questions that I haven't voiced yet, but the answers to these questions are very pertinent to what I have to talk about now. And my choice to listen to my gut and pause the recording when I did, which was really about 30 minutes before the photo shoot was to take place, were responsible for me being able to give you even more information now. In the episodes that I have brought you thus far from my work here in Wilson, and also even with regard to my Instagram post and the text that accompanies a lot of the photographs, I have made very specific references at times to someone by their race, saying that they were black, they were Hispanic, whatever. And this has really, really weighed on me heavily because it's something that I don't normally do. I tend to not see people by their race or by their size or by their ethnicity or whatever the case may be. And that actually has brought up another issue down here, which I think I should also talk about as well. My reason for being so race or ethnic specific in some of the things I talk about with regard to my subjects is because I want to start trying to break down these these stereotypes that we have, that we have created in our society. And even for a lot of us, we don't realize that we have them because they have been ingrained or embedded deep into our subconscious, yet they are there. And I want, again, to start breaking these down. My time here in Wilson, as I've already mentioned numerous times, has been filled with 
all sorts of amazing experiences, but two of the things that have really stood out for me, again, is how welcoming the people have been. And when I say the people, I mean the people of all cultures here, the white community, the black community, the Hispanic community, the Muslim community, everyone to a person has been incredibly welcoming. The other thing that has really stood out for me, and by my own admission, it has been not only eye-opening, but just soulfully awakening. And that is, I have, for the first time in my entire life, seen the, the extreme subtleties of racism. Over the years, I've heard it talked about, but I've never ever experienced it for myself. And now that I have, I will never ever be able to unsee it. And these two things, this subtle racism and the welcomingness of everyone here in Wilson, are the two things that I really want to talk about now. But talking about this has actually brought up yet a third thing. I know I'm jumping all over the place here, but again, there's so much for me to talk about, so much for me to share with you. But the third thing, and hopefully this will be the last of the the things uh, that I'm going to talk about in this episode, but the third thing is, I think it's commonly referred to as not seeing color. So let me start with that. This whole subject kind of came up when I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who is white. Anyhow, I had said something to the effect of, well, I don't really see color. And she came back at me and kind of lambasted me a bit. What she explained to me is that within the black community, especially, I guess, that when someone who is from another culture, in this case, a white culture, says, I don't see color, it is actually taken as a very offensive comment. Because evidently, to the person on the receiving end of this comment, who is black, perceives that the white person making the comment does not acknowledge them for being black, does not acknowledge that which they have suffered through or endured over the years, over the centuries. Ever since this conversation, I have put forth this topic to numerous people in the black community to get their take or their input on it. Most of the people that I presented this subject or this topic to were in agreement with it, but only, I don't want to say peripherally, but more casually. You know, they yes, they agreed with it, uh, but they really didn't hold on to that or that wasn't really kind of a deal breaker in their relationships with uh, meeting someone that wasn't of the black community. But also in talking with people from this community, there was also the thing of it was dependent upon who they were talking to. And this I could wrap my head around. It made a great deal of sense because what one is doing is is judging the comments or judging the statements of the person presenting them. In simple terms, let's say if I were to approach someone, a black person, that I had never met before, they had never met me, they knew nothing about me, and you know, as we're talking, I say to them, oh, you know, I don't see color. Well, you know, that's sort of a red flag in a sense for people of color, and not just the blacks. I mean, it, this goes into the Hispanic community and other communities as well. Again, people of color. 
And the reason, I am told, that a statement like this early on is met with a great deal of skepticism is because a lot of white people tend to use that comment and it's really to make them feel better about themselves as opposed to anything else. And after listening to this argument or this debate from many people, I began to think about it. In fact, to be quite honest, I began thinking about it the very moment that Amanda brought it up to me. And I began to see exactly what the issue is. This morning, as I was leaving the building, I ran into Marvin. And Marvin is the person that I made the portrait of yesterday afternoon during that pause I talked about in the recording of this episode. We greeted each other with the customary hellos, and then we had a little bit of a conversation. And during that conversation, Marvin was telling me about a speech that he delivered yesterday. Now, to bring you up to speed a little bit before I go on, yesterday when I was making the portrait of Marvin, we had great discussions, and that's always part of my portrait sessions. But in those conversations yesterday, Marvin told me that a few years ago, he began speaking to high school and junior high students at the local schools here in Wilson. And what he was talking about essentially was life. You see, Marvin in his younger days, among other things of getting into trouble here and there, is Marvin was also an addict. He told me of how it really kind of messed up his life in so many ways, and including his marriage to a woman that he dearly loved and dearly loved him. But more to the point, Marvin told me of how he achieved recovery, full recovery. In short, what he said is that it was a combination of his strong belief in God and his willingness to do the work that was needed. But Marvin's talk yesterday, as he related to me, was not about this, but rather it was a message to the parents he reminded them of the importance of being there for their children, of showing their children love each and every day, and for being a part of their lives each and every day, and being there to support them regardless of what they've done each and every day. Because if you don't, he told them, they will find those things in other places, and most times those other places are the gangs. I believe I may have mentioned this in one of the previous episodes on Wilson, but even if I did, I feel that it bears repeating. Also, I encountered a situation earlier this morning that brought this subject back to mind and subsequently reinforced my thoughts on it. The police here in Wilson remind me very much of the police when I was a youth. They don't hassle you for things that you haven't done. They're there if you need them, and they will arrest you if you break the law. In this time that we're living in, I think that this is really an important story to tell because of all of the negative publicity that seems to fill our airwaves and our newspapers and our magazines. And in most cases, justifiably so. But no one seems to take the time to talk about the places and the police officers that put their lives on the line on a daily basis and do their job the way they're supposed to do it, which is to serve and protect the community, the entire community. Last night, I needed to take a break from work, so I walked outside to get some air and walk around a little bit. And as soon as I walked out into the parking lot, 
I heard this incredibly loud music. In fact, it was so loud that it sounded like a live concert on the next street over. Of course, my inquisitiveness kicked in and I followed the sound of the music. And when you walk across the parking lot here from the apartment, there's an, a couple, there are a couple of buildings, but there's like this little pedestrian walkway that cuts through a couple of the buildings and it emerges on the other side into the parking lot of the hardware store and then onto Barn Street. As I emerged from this narrow pedestrian walkway into the parking lot, I saw that, first of all, the parking lot was almost filled with cars and people, and across the street, there were people all over the sidewalk, and the music, as it turns out, was not a live concert, but it was blaring from a man's motorcycle stereo system. Evidently, there was a function, and I have no idea what the function was, but it was inside uh, one of the rental halls that they have here in Wilson. From what I could tell at my vantage point on the sidewalk, the inside of this place was absolutely packed, but out on the sidewalk in front of this building, there were probably 40 or 50 people standing there. And across Barn Street, which is where I was standing, there were people gathered there as well. Again, the parking lot of the hardware store was absolutely packed with cars and motorcycles and people. Music was blaring, again, primarily from the one motorcycle, which added a great jubilance to the crowd. In fact, many even began dancing. But what I failed to mention at the beginning of this story is that everyone, every single person to a person on that street, with the exception of me, was black. Now, I can say without a doubt that this scene that was there on Barn Street last night would absolutely have scared the hell out of most white people. And that is, in part, why I wanted to tell this story. For about 20 minutes, I walked freely back and forth along Barn Street, passing through this crowd time and time again. And eventually, when there was an opportunity, I even went over to one of the gentlemen on his motorcycle, the one that was playing the music so loud, and when I approached him, he saw me and politely turned down the music so I could talk. And when that happened, I asked him if I could make a photograph of him, but I wanted to make the photograph against the wall of the hardware store, which meant he had to pack things up and drive his motorcycle over there. With only the briefest of a pause, he agreed. I tell you this part of the story because this gentleman on the motorcycle really and truly looked apart, and it had nothing to do with the color of his skin or anything else. It was just he was a hardcore biker. But in reality, he was just a nice guy that was thrilled to have somebody ask to make a photograph of his motorcycle. In fact, he was actually shocked to find out that I wanted to photograph him with his motorcycle. The other part of this entire story is that with all of the people that were inside this, this center, as well as all of the people that were gathered outside on the sidewalk, and of course, the fact that they were all black, there was only one police officer present. No one was harassed, no one was bullied, and no one got out of control. This morning, as I was out walking around just looking to see if there was anything else I could photograph, I passed the courthouse, and something there caught my eye. 
When I stopped at the corner and diverted my attention fully to the courthouse, there was really nothing going on. It was all very benign. There were a couple of people that were standing around on the steps. There was one woman who was dressed in medical scrubs that was walking away from the steps towards the sidewalk. And then this car pulled up and a woman got out and started walking across this plaza area towards the woman in the scrubs. For whatever reason, my gut said, you know, I need to pay attention to this because something is not right here. And sure enough, my gut was right again. Now, to understand this story completely, I have to say that both of these women were black, as were the three men who were standing in various parts of the steps or the plaza. As the woman who exited the car grew closer to the woman who was in the scrubs, She began yelling. I couldn't understand what she was saying, but it was obviously a bit heated. And the woman in scrubs would reply, and it went back and forth. And then I noticed a white police officer exit rapidly from the doors at the top of the steps and make his way down towards this woman who was approaching. It became evident that they had suspected that this situation may happen. As the two women came face to face about a foot apart, the one woman, the one who had exited the car, as still yelling, had actually cocked her arm back and was about to throw a punch. At that very moment, the white officer came around behind her, wrapped his arms around her, put her into a bear hug, and just pulled her back. And by this time, two other white officers arrived on the scene as well. Those two officers seemed to have consoled the woman who was being attacked and made sure that she was okay. The aggressive woman, still in a bear hug from behind, was escorted across the plaza and up the steps and into the courthouse itself, all the while screaming obscenities at the police officer and demanding to be let go. At no time was this woman, this aggressive woman, ever treated maliciously or violently or poorly in any way and even though she resisted being taken up the steps and or even across the plaza for that matter at no point was she ever brutalized she was never knocked to the ground she was never dragged at no point did her feet ever stop walking the police officer who had her in a bear hug maintained control but he also maintained the respect of this woman At no point were billy clubs brought out. At no point were tasers brought out. At no point were guns brought out. And at no point were any of the officers yelling or being intimidating in any way. And at no point were there ever more than those three officers. And at no point was there ever more than just the one officer restraining the aggressive woman. I want to thank you once again most sincerely for allowing me to share with you another story from the road and from Wilson, North Carolina. If you'd like to keep abreast of upcoming workshops, lectures, or new releases of my fine art prints, sign up for my mailing list at davidfarmerie.com. You have my sincere word that you will not be spammed, nor will I give or share your information with anyone. You have been listening to Stories from the World. Copyright 2021, David Robert Farmerie. All rights 
preserved.